Hey, 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 everybody. So welcome back to Have a Little Insight. Big thank you to everybody who has been listening and supporting us along the way. It means a lot to us. Please continue to share, like, subscribe with your friends. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on our website at havealittleinsight.com. With that, this new episode, we talked to Haley K. Turner. Haley is a singer-songwriter based out of Vancouver, BC. She grew up in Kelowna, and she just dropped a new album on Spotify called In From The Dark. And we sat down with her to listen in on the album a little bit and get a little behind-the-scenes view of what it's like to be a singer-songwriter, how it is to be an independent Canadian artist and produce your own work, and a little bit of the meaning behind Haley's album and some of the songs and content she writes. Hopefully there's some insights in here for you along the way. So listen in, sit back, and enjoy. What is it all?
maybe we'll start there. So when did you, I know, but like, I have a vague idea, but when did you start performing? Um, well, music is different than performing. I grew up dancing, um, danced for 14 years, just recreationally and did, you know, plays in school. I was always trying to do the school plays and all of those things. And then out of, I think I started taking film and TV classes at 12. So that was kind of the direction that I was going in. Um, and then I moved to Vancouver and tried to pursue a career in TV and film, which was a super big challenge for me, um, just emotionally. And so I kind of redirected all my artistic um, energy into creating music specifically so that I could maintain the control I had over the content and image that I was putting out. But performing has always been there. So music started a little bit when you were older, but didn't, I remember when we were younger, didn't you used to perform with your dad? Didn't you used to sing with your dad and stuff like that when you were little? Yeah. So, I mean, when you asked me that question, I'm kind of more thinking about when I tried to record music, um, which was, I guess, early twenties. But before that, I, I'd written a bunch of songs before I moved to Vancouver. I did a concert with my dad. Yeah. Just, I performed a few times with him and um, did a few, I did actually one recording before I moved here and it's so terrible that I don't share it with anybody. Although now I feel like if I were to be able to find it on a CD somewhere, I would because there is thunder in the intro of it. <laughs> that's the, that's the direction that that song went in. So not as pure as I like to create now, but I performed with him and, and I think when I moved here, when I say that I redirected my energy into music. In Vancouver is where I bought my guitar and actually started writing songs on my own. So before that, if I were to write a song, it would just be strictly the lyrics and the melody. And then I'd have to work with somebody who played guitar or played an instrument. Yeah, I would say like early 20s was when I did it on my own. And then here we are. <laughs> so how does that work for you? Like, do you just hear a song in your head and then you just start writing it down? Or do you hear a melody or like, how does the process go for you? Yeah, so songwriting has kind of changed for me over the years. Initially, like I said, I would just come up with a melody and lyrics. It always starts with a feeling for me. So I just have to be triggered by an emotion, whether it's a positive one or a negative one. And then um, it's kind of like writing a poem. And then um, the melody would just come come with me. But as I started to play guitar, I would start with a couple easy chords and then match a melody that would work with whatever I could play. That's kind of like now I kind of do it simultaneously. Like I'll sit down with my guitar with some thoughts of what I want to maybe write about um, and just start playing and singing at the same time. And over time that can evolve where I might write it a certain way and leave it alone for a little bit and then completely change the melody, but keep the lyrics or change the lyrics and keep the melody. And do you always work solo, like in the creation process? Do you ever team up with other um, artists to help with melody stuff or different instruments? Or do you just primarily work from guitar? I pretty much worked on my own um, and sometimes a little bit with piano. But um, that's mostly just because I don't have a ton of people around me to write with. Like if I had more, um, I've kind of lived, been living in a different world than a lot of the musicians in Vancouver, you know, being a a stay-at-home mom like stuck in my <laughs> my mom life so I'm not really surrounded by a lot of people that write music um, or I wasn't at least until recording this album which maybe going forward there'll be um, some new friends that I can collaborate with or something which would be great so how do you do that 
how do you how do you be a full-time stay-at-home mom with two little kids and continue to like feed your your passion or your artist or whatever your heart is telling you to also do like how do you find the balance uh, <laughs> loaded question i have no <laughs> idea i don't think there's a balance and i'm like I'm hesitant to answer this because I can only answer it from my perspective, which is my experience with motherhood and my experience with my art and my personal struggle. So I think it's, it's completely different for everybody, how they balance being a parent and doing their job of any sort, whether it's making art or anything else. For me, I feel like I actually, so I had my first child right when I released my first EP and then I did a few shows and a couple opportunities had started to come up where I would be, I was actually getting phone calls rather than having to pitch myself to book gigs. And that was great. And I could do that for a little bit, but then my son was so active and he, he was, you know, crawling at five and a half months old that I kind of just, I did that for a year and then I just didn't do anything. I didn't actively look at performing. I think there was a few Vancouver festivals that sent emails and asked me to, and I just declined because I didn't feel like I had the capacity to do both. But I was always writing. And when I wasn't writing, I was not happy. I was super grumpy. <laughs> For me, writing music is kind of how I process emotions. It's it's an open journal, essentially. I I don't know if there is a balance. I think the thing that triggered the the album for me was actually I went on a girl's trip maybe three years ago. And I happened to be with a few women that I didn't know at the time that run businesses. Um, one hadn't started her family family yet and was trying to figure out how that was going to look when she had a family another one had kids um and just kind of being around women that were supporting other women was huge to see and so they kind of just inspired me to get back into something and then it was just baby steps of reaching out to old friends which led to new friends and I didn't even plan on making the record to be honest <laughs> so this is kind of a good segue so we'll just let everybody know that you did just release your first full-length album and your first song release since 2011 with your EP. What was the plan initially when you like you, so you leave this women's group, you're feeling inspired, you're feeling supported, motivated, but you don't plan on making a record. So what's the journey there from, I wasn't gonna make a record to, I just released a full length record in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, it's nuts. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like I knew I wanted to get back into something that was artistic. The funniest thing is that the reason I worked my butt off the last two years was because my youngest was supposed to be in kindergarten this year. So it was going to be the first year in eight years that I would have two kids in full-time childcare, essentially school. Yeah, so then, you know, that's why I worked to, to get something out or to do something. I didn't want to be starting artistically feeling like I was starting from scratch this year. I wanted to kind of already have connected with people and whatnot. So. Um, I actually, I don't think you don't know this. I actually took a few voiceover acting classes um, to see if I wanted to do that because just with my experience in film and TV, um, voiceover felt like a better fit for me because image doesn't play into that. And so I thought if I was going to get back into something creatively, maybe voiceover would be a good fit. And I'd always been intimidated by it. So I started just reaching out to a few people and they just kept saying, well, you have to, you know, you have to just jump in. You can't just say that you could do it with your background. You have to figure out if you can actually, you know, be a voice actor. So I took a class and then through that class, I can't even remember like this, just basically reaching out to people 
something that somebody said resonates and then it kind of moves you into another direction. And so I ended up specifically for the album, I ended up just reaching out to Adrian Glenn, who sings on three of the tracks on my album, who is a friend that I had met at an open mic, probably when you were going to open mics with me, like way back in 2009, maybe, or like maybe before that. Earlier than that. Yeah, Yeah. I remember his name. Earlier than that. Yeah, I think we started going to open mics. Well, I remember your first open mic ever, which I know we talked about recently, but I don't think you remember it as clearly. I don't remember what song you sang and stuff, but I remember going to your first open mic and you had never played guitar, I think, in public at that point. And even now listening to you now, I'm like, yeah, you can tell you've been playing much longer, that you've come more into yourself. But I remember you being nervous and I remember the little steps and all of those little Mm -hmm. journeys to becoming a public performer. But yeah, it was probably like 2006, 2008 timeline, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably right. If I calculate when I graduated from high school, (laughs) that makes sense. Yeah. So I actually just, I, I had, I mean, I've been writing songs, but I hadn't planned on recording. And I reached out to a friend, Adrian Glenn, and I said, hypothetically, if I have a song, would you consider singing on it? Um, because a, I love his voice and I also really love, um, male and female vocals together. So at this point I didn't have a song chosen. I didn't have a song for him to sing on. And he said that that's something that he would potentially be interested in, interested in. And then he mentioned Tom's name. So Tom Dabransky is who I recorded my album with. And so I just ended up meeting him. I went to his studio, Monarch Studios in Vancouver, which I highly recommend. It's an amazing space. Um, met him and then, um, He's he's just really good at at follow through. So he sent an email saying, you know, are you interested? My dates are booked available, and I booked in for um, three songs. And we decided that if that went well, then I'd come back and book other dates, and we'd do a, an album. And the experience was so amazing for me that I I knew like day one that I would be be back to finish the album. I'm curious for other people who might be aspiring musicians who who has work that they want to put out there, they want to make an album. I'm sure it's not as easy as just reaching out to a few friends and booking a studio, but maybe it is that easy. I don't know. What could you? Oh, okay. So this is, I like this question because I think what I would like to do as a human is make the process feel less intimidating. Because I can tell you that hands down, one of the reasons it took me so long in the first place to make my first EP and then probably the leg in time was um, just the lack of understanding of what's involved and finding the right people who can help walk you through that. So I think the experience, like if you just if you're just talking about, you know, one person who doesn't have a band who writes a song and wants to record it, then their process is going to be hiring musicians who are going to play on the album and a producer can help you find that. Or if they have friends, um, they can, you know, work on the songs before they go into studio, just like a band would. Um, but for, which is the process that I took. I mean, I had my guitar, but I, Tom hired um, musicians that he's used to working with. And then I ended up bringing Adrian in and Adrian ended up also playing electric guitar on the album. Um, so I think it's, I, th- I just wish it wasn't as intimidating. I think there's this whole um, image of like being in a recording studio is super professional and you have to be at a certain level to do it and all, all of these things. And I think, 
I wish that there wasn't as much mystery in it, I guess is what I'm saying. Because I wish, I think that it holds a lot of people back from thinking they're capable of doing it. And I think, um, I don't know. Yeah. Not, not to say everybody's going to have a career. That's a whole nother ball game, but actually making a piece of art that's music through recording it. So did you, did you find it less intimidating going through it the second time to record the new album? Just even though it has been like a longer period of time in between recordings, because you know, the process better, it was a little less intimidating this time around. So the funny thing is that um, I think the process is going to be different with the people that you surround yourself with. And so different producers and, and musicians work differently. Some producers are super open to having you be there and be a part of the process. Some producers do that, like they, their art is doing their part of the job. So this process, it's when I called Tom, I actually ended up calling him a, a few times before going into the studio because I was so nervous and I was trying to map out in my head I'm a planner I like to know how things are going to go and I was trying to figure out you know which day we were going to do which instruments and what I had to have ready to make sure that we were going to be able to to record those things properly um and it it was super intimidating going in but this is where I get to praise Tom and he's gonna hate that but he is so kind and so non non-judgmental that being in the space with somebody like him is is um, really comforting to an artist that tends to be in their head a little bit more. I never felt like I was on the clock. I never felt like I wasn't good enough. I was surrounded by musicians that play, you know, for great bands day in and day out and have done a lot more things than me, like whether it's touring or live performance or even just recording. Um, And I never felt like I wasn't worthy of being there, which I think is something that doesn't happen or at least for me it doesn't happen often like it in the acting industry I don't know what Jenny would say but I feel like there's a lot of what appears to be ego which might be just a mask of hiding behind insecurities I don't know but I feel like um this experience was so profound for me because it was the first time that I wasn't told that I was good and I wasn't told that I was bad it just is what it is we were making music the record is going to be what it is and there wasn't any judgment which I think is a whole new way of looking at art, which is we, we create it and then that's what it is. Letting the, letting the listener or the audience decide, right? And while, while they're deciding whether they like it or not, you're just making more. Exactly. Yeah. And then also for an artist, like just, or the musicians, like just, um, being in it in the moment and doing what feels natural and right in the moment. And, naturally like next time you record or next time you write a song you might look at it differently and have a different process I mean the studio is an oasis because I literally had my mom come in to take care of my kids so that I could go and do this and so I was there for like eight to twelve hours I think was the longest day or 11 hours or something like that um in the studio the whole day you're in this creative space for a set amount of dates dates consistently um and you're I mean, that's the amount of time you have to make the project. So whatever comes out of that is what you put in, I guess. So I'm always curious as well with uh, what the process looks like once you get in the studio. Like, did you have in mind already, like, these are the songs that I want to record and I already know, like, what they're going to sound like? Or was there things that changed over time throughout the recording process? So I definitely had um, a few songs that I wanted to do for sure. 
initially I sent, um, like before I went in for recording, I sent an email, um, to Tom or a few emails with different voice memos of demos and he listened to them. And I think for me, I would never want to work with somebody on a project if they weren't passionate about it. So I wanted his input to know that he was going to be into the song because he had a huge role in creating the music as well. So if he wasn't, if he didn't like the song, then I, you know, I wouldn't expect something great to come out of it. Um, so I took his uh, expertise and, and opinions on the song as well. And there's a few that I provided to him that we just decided not to do. And then when we got into the studio, there's a few songs that evolved definitely over time. Um, I brought the recording for me because I'm because I felt like I needed to break it up so that I could manage and balance Jenny's first question, which is motherhood. I, I broke it up to three different periods of time. So I recorded in June, then I recorded again in November and then December. And so each um, time I actually learned, you know, different things and then was able to take what I learned from that round of recording into the next. Um, and then there was a couple changes to songs that happened um, in that time as well. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, what the theme for the album is and what the significance of the title is, at least for you? Um, yeah, so it, I feel like it's really funny that I named it In From The Dark because that was before all of this craziness happened in the world. <laughs> and so it felt, and that's why I released it on time, was because um, In From The Dark uh, was is kind of my my concept of the fact that the album has a lot of songs that are about um, personal or societal struggles. Um, and my perspective of coming in from the dark would be that place that's created, like that little haven of, of comfort and connection and growth that can happen when you get out of those situations that are dark for you, whatever that may be. Um, so in from the dark is kind of sums that up and then... I had a different name for the title that I wanted to use and I ran it by a bunch of people and they were like, nope, you can't. That's just not good. It's made them cringe and they didn't like it. So I just kept going and then that one is, is what I settled on. So while we dive into the album, um, let's. I wanted to talk about um, the song Heavy Lifting. So in it, you said... <laughs> What did you think that would be one I would pick? Okay. okay. In it, you said... Like the one song I don't want to talk about. No. Oh, well, that kind of makes me I'm want to talk kidding. about it more. Sure. So in it, you said, I'm always, always on my own. Even when you're there, I feel alone. So you don't always see me as I see me. And I think one of the reasons I picked this out is also based on personal experience with Ryan and I. When Ryan and I first started being friends... One of our go-to things was like, who are you today? Are you the you that you see? Are you the you that somebody else sees? Are you the you that I see? Like, there's all these different facets of us. And I was just wondering what that song is about to you. Because to me, it kind of sounded like being misperceived in life. Um, yeah, I think that... Uh, I feel like that song can have a lot of different meanings. And basically just the fact that even when you're surrounded by people that, that love and adore you or people that you love and adore, you can feel completely alone and isolated because you just don't feel like they see you how you identify yourself. 
Um, so obviously like in, in romantic relationships that can happen and in friendships and even just in superficial, um, Oh, Ryan left. <laughs> That's okay. We Do you want me to wait? Sure. Maybe I'll save this. I want to be open and transparent with my music and be, I mean, the whole point of the album was to talk about things and to use music as a way to create conversation so that we can start talking about things because it's, it, it's through not talking that we get, um, more isolated and feel more alone and have more struggles with mental health and all of these things. So on one hand, I want to be the person that talks about everything, but then on the other hand, I don't want to say anything that kind of makes people assume, uh, assume my life, <laughs> like, you know, my life story or impacts other people. So it's interesting situation, I suppose. So, oh, he's back. He's back. Is to I missed I didn't miss anything. Oh well we missed you. <laughs> is like those conversations that people aren't having is the root of why we started this podcast and we've dealt with well, I should just talk for myself and not for Ryan, but I've dealt with a lot of fear and insecurity. Like we did an episode on sexual assault and sexual trauma and I was like this is a really big topic that nobody talks about. Like, what if I make a mistake or what if this is wrong or what if we get all this hate mail? And then we did an episode on Black Lives Matter and I was just gearing up for people to start sending in the hate messages or sending in comments that were like, I think it takes a lot of courage to build your voice and put it out there. And I know that you're interested in starting to build those kinds of relationships and have those kind of conversations. Definitely. And I think... I think what's frustrating is the fear that comes into it because um, like a lot of what I'm passionate about has to do with women, you know, or those that identify with being like being a woman. And so for me, um, that's a super scary conversation to have because there are a lot of people that don't want women to have an opinion. <laughs> and so, you know, I feel like, you know, and also even just, just the, the topics and the issues that affect women are sometimes really controversial. Like you take motherhood, for example, and motherhood is controversial at the beginning, like the moment you say you want to be a mom. There's, you know, issues with um, pretty much every area, you know, whether you breastfeed, whether you don't, whether you adopt, whether you don't, whether you uh, are same sex, whether you're not, you know, like it doesn't really matter what, what your story is. There's always something to debate and argue. But for me, um, I really wanted to create music that created conversations so that even if it's just within your own family unit or your own, you know, city or whatever it is, people were starting to get past the, the barriers that social media makes us assume we are um, and what other people are and have, have conversations that make us feel more connected. Just crazy that, that COVID and the isolation happened at the time, right when I was about to release my music because the concept of it was that I don't think that feeling, what was the word that everybody's isolated? I don't feel like feeling isolated is a new thing. I think that being in isolation just had us deal with it. We had to realize and evaluate friendships that were in our lives and those that were fulfilling us and those that weren't and what was missing. And we didn't have anything to distract us except for like movies and <laughs> Um, politics, which is very scary. Um, and so I think that those feelings were just magnified and the mental health issues and all of these things that have been coming to light over the last few years, specifically in entertainment industries and just who's talking about what, um, 
it wasn't new. It was just a much bigger level than we've ever had to deal with it because everybody was struggling in some way. What kind of conversations have you seen come out of the album and are they the ones you expected or maybe something a little bit different? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. There hasn't been that many conversations with me specifically, except for, you know, the emails that say, I loved this song because, or I connected with the song because. And so those are very personal stories that I, I think are, you know, between the person that sent the email and myself. Um, but as far as conversations go, I think, you know, there's been a little bit of feedback from people that make, have made assumptions even about me and then hear a song and they're like, wait a minute, what is, who is Haley? What does she actually think about? Because this is not what I thought that she would write about or sing about, or, you know, like the struggle, the motherhood song that I wrote, loved you perfectly. Um, a lot of moms <laughs> would tell me that they were like bawling, listening to the song and, that felt actually good to hear because it meant that I wasn't alone in feeling like I was messing it up all the time. And that's something that people don't talk about because there's a lot of shame that comes in, in that, you know? So I think it will take time for conversations. I mean, I don't think my album is going to be something that is a huge catalyst for like a major shift in the world, but I'm hoping that within my community and people that start to listen to it, I can have deeper connections with those people. Um, and, and, find or build the community that is willing to talk more um, and judge less, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think it is important to be able to open up and talk about what whatever emotions we're experiencing or what we're dealing with without fearing that there is going to be some sort of shame or judgment that we're getting from the other side, you know, because a lot of the time people feel like they have to suppress certain things or that it's wrong to feel or think a certain way, right? But the only way you can really move past that or deal with it is to express it. So uh, for me personally, like the song Take Me As I Am was one that stuck out for me and it just kind of made it uh, made me feel like it's a song about accepting who you are, but then also wanting other people to accept who they are. And like For how sure. hard that can be sometimes. Yeah, as I am is one of my favorite songs. I'm um, I'm happy with with all the songs for different reasons, but as I am was the only song on the record that took 15 minutes to write. <laughs> I've never done that before. I sat down and I had just had a coffee with a friend, and we were talking about the desire for humans to feel seen, and so that song was very much about um, just wanting to be seen and accepted for who you are, whatever that means to you. Um, and then I think that the meaning behind the song kind of changed when we decided to have Adrian sing on it, um, because then you have two voices and, you know, it can be about, you know, there could, there could be assumptions that there's a male and a female. So what, how does that change the context or whatever? But I tried with the lyrics to make sure that it was going to maintain exactly what you said, which was accepting yourself and accepting others for who they are. And, um, yeah, that's what As I Am is about. Take me as I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me that's been a big process with being in isolation is, like, at first there was a lot of distractions. Like, I'm just going to keep myself busy and, you know, go, go, go like I was for a while. And then kind of going through a process of, like, grieving a lifestyle loss almost. And then going through, like, the acceptance phase of, like, okay, like, 
there's certain parts of me that maybe I'm not really in tune with as much as I used to be or have lost touch with and then trying to reconnect to that which I think is a great time for people to uh, to get into some self-reflection. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to ask people to accept you for who you are if you don't even know who you are. But I think the thing with life is that you're always changing. And so that's kind of the the concept behind that as well is, you know, whoever you are in that moment and whoever you believe that you are in that moment should still be equally as valuable as the person you grow into, you know, a few a few years later because I think um I don't know if you figured out who you are let me know how you did it (laughs) (laughs) send send some tips my way like I I have all these songs and they're about certain things but doesn't mean I have anything figured out (laughs) you know just processing it and trying to come back to the the basic concepts of um what I think will get us through I don't know yeah I, I think it's a, the process is a little different for everybody. Like certain tools will work better for you, like whether that's uh, meditating or journaling. And I think one of the big things for me was just focusing on taking little steps at a time. Like today, mm-hmm. just do like one small thing. Don't try to tackle too much at once or feel like you have to change multiple things right off the bat. And it's also the self-judgment too, I think a lot of people build up. And it's it's a it's a very key aspect is not to judge yourself on what's going on. Like you start, you know, getting into a workout routine, you do it for a week and then you fall off a little bit and then you beat yourself up for falling off. And like, that's where the trouble comes in. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think like, that's why this recording experience was so profound for me is because it was the first time in a creative space that I was literally left with my own thoughts of how I judge myself, which is a lot. Like, I'm very hard on myself. I have, um, you know, I have a really hard time with with my own belief of what is good and what is not good and where I need to improve and all of these things. And so being in a room of people that that really felt like they weren't invested enough to be judging me made me have to look at how I was judging myself, which is something that came out of this experience going, hey, like you can surround yourself with people that just take you for who you are. And then you have to get to that point for yourself as well where where you go, I guess this is it for today. This is what I have to give today um, and let that be enough, which is super challenging for sure. Uh, I don't well while while I was while I was gone for a little bit, did we touch on the the good life song yet? Uh, no, we were talking about heavy lifting and then we paused. Um, because you you went disappearing. Yeah, I, I left you to do the heavy lifting. Oh, that's not new. But I'm bummed. We're full of humor here. No, we didn't. We didn't talk about good life. So if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I thought it was a very good starting song right off the bat. Like it got me interested right away. And I do think like what we've been saying, the theme altogether is very fitting to what's been going on in the world right now and I just I really like the second verse about like when decency is crumbling our difference our differences I'll celebrate and when denial of fact leads to ignorance I'm going to do my best to educate so I think that's like a super fitting way to look at what's happening right now yeah that's what what's crazy about that song is um 
I wrote it before all the stuff that we're experiencing right now. I mean, those issues were, were still there and was, are still part of, of my perception of the world. But, um, I actually wrote, it's funny because good life, like I, I hemmed and hawed about the title of it because it, you can make an assumption when you hear, Oh, a song's called good life, what it's going to be about. Um, you know, diamonds and fancy cars and living the good life. <laughs> but, um, I actually wrote that song when I was feeling extremely overwhelmed and discouraged with the state of the world way before where we are now. And so you can imagine how I feel now, <laughs> but, um, I was feeling just really, really down and just going, you know, all, there's so much that needs to change. There's so many feelings that people are having that are just absolutely heartbreaking. So many situations that people go through that are devastating and what are we going to do about it? So that song is very much about, you know, there's all these things that we can actively do and, and the activism behind things. But ultimately, in each in our own lives, we just have to try to do our best as well, because what we do is going to look different in everybody's homes. It's going to be uh, different actions that we can all do. And so those lyrics of like when human decency is crumbling, um, and just accepting people for who they are and um, trying to kind of make a promise to myself that when um, when there's an injustice going on or when something is, you know, even small, like it could be something in your own social circle or it could be on a big scale of things to promise myself that I'm going to be one of the people that speaks out or says something, which is now it feels, I mean, that song means something completely different to me than it did before, although it's the same because there's there's one connecting piece of what inspired that song to what's going on now, um, which just has to do with, you know, the, the hate that's coming for everybody um, in different, I don't know, different communities around the world. Yeah, I lost my train of thought. You have to refocus me. What do you want to know? <laughs> that's okay. Um, I was also going to... I was just going to ask too that uh, in the chorus you say about you, you talk about having faith in humanity. So, with I guess it's been about three months of the pandemic going on. So, is there still some faith that you have, and what kind of positive outcomes have you seen from this situation, or like what little blessings in disguise has there been for you there? Oh, how do I want to answer this? There's a few things that I could say. Like one would be, I think it's actually, um, I the, it, well, <laughs> have you guys watched the Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers documentaries? <laughs> no. You should. You haven't. <laughs> um, there's a couple quotes that I heard over the last couple of years. And like one is look for the helpers. You're, you or Look for the helpers. You will always find people who, who are helping. And so I think having faith in humanity is, um, you have to look for the good or you won't find it because there's a lot of terrible things out there. And so, I mean, this song doesn't mean that I wake up every day and I'm like, you know, today I'm going to be the best person that I can be and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And everybody's really good um, at their core. Like, that's not the meaning of it at all. But my faith in humanity, let's see. I don't know. I mean, I think there's still a lot of people out there that are trying to do the right thing right now. They're trying to speak up. They're trying to stand up for people. You know, like it's, oh, it's, it's, I don't even know how to say that because people could be listening to this being like, well, which side are you on? Because you could be on the wrong side and still, I just did air quotes, the wrong side and, um, 
and and really believe in what you're doing and that that's the right thing. So it's such a crazy conversation to have, but I think there's a lot of there are a lot of people that tried to keep connection going through this time. There are a lot there's a lot of innovation that happened in all different industries. So the faith just comes that like if you look hard enough you'll find the people that are that are doing the helping and you can join their team. <laughs> I I don't know. It's it's hard to like I've been having a lot of different conversations looking at the world through a different lens right now and just trying to wrap my head around what's going on and I have noticed some negativity but I've also noticed more positivity so I'm trying to focus more on the good side of things but I'm also trying to figure out where I stand still like I'm I'm in the I'm in a bit of state of confusion so I'm right on board with not really being on air quotes the right or the wrong side I'm just trying to figure it out so <laughs> yeah. what do you have to say Jenny yeah <laughs> no problem <laughs> I think I think one of the hard parts when it comes to being on the right or the wrong side is there's so much judgment when the climate is so polarized right now. Like those are very like political words as I use my air quotes over here. But it's really hard to find the moment to speak or like find the venue to speak through when there's so much possible backlash that could come at you when there's so much fear that is like being propelled and put out there. Like it was one of the hardest parts at the beginning of the pandemic for me was I felt like there was a lot of fear mongering to try and like get people to like get in line and do what we needed to do. And now it's like nobody has any fear anymore. And like living in the province that was one of like had the highest numbers. I'm like, you guys are all just walking around like nothing happened. And this is a yeah. very small issue compared to looking at things like racism and social justice and stuff like that. But when do you speak up and say, that's not okay? And sometimes I just don't say anything because I'm like, I don't want to deal with the conflict. I don't want the problem. I don't want like, well, I don't need, I don't need the target on my back. But it, it's super scary because we've all heard the stories of specific celebrities that have spoken up and said things and literally received threats on their lives. You know, like, um, and I think that that puts fear, but I feel like, and then I'll ask you guys the question now, yes. do you think <laughs> that if you choose humanity, that, that that will steer you in the right? Like if you always come back to a human place, like, I mean, masks, <laughs> you brought up masks, that's going to be super controversial, but I'm going to go there. Um, I was talking to my partner, Ryan, last night about it saying, like when I go to a grocery store here, I wear, I'm wearing a mask. That's my personal choice. The reason I'm wearing a mask isn't really for me, although there's a little bit of that fear from reading the media and reading all, all of the stuff going, oh, if I can protect myself just a little bit. But it's the same thing that I would do if I was smoking. Like I'm not a smoker, but if I were a smoker, I would choose to, to remove myself from where I'm smoking because secondhand smoke can be more harmful than first-hand smoke. Am I right on that? I think that's still true, right? That was the science 10 years ago. I don't know if it's changed. Um, so my yeah. perspective, just that if I were working in a grocery store, I'd be nervous right now. That's my comfort level. I would be nervous if I was in that environment. And I would feel more comfortable if somebody walked in wearing a mask because I knew it was just making me a little bit safer in my job. So I, when I choose to wear a mask, I'm choosing that human over myself. Like the comfort of me being in a mask for whatever amount of time in my, you know, with, I don't have breathing problems. I don't have, 
you know, it's not an inconvenience for me. It's the same reason I would choose to go somewhere else if I was or like smoking or to turn my music down if I was having a house party and it's after 11 o'clock, like just to be respectful to people that are around you and choose humanity. And I think that if we do that, that will get us through. And that's what good life is about as well, which is being a decent human, choosing to to try to um, be kind when you can be kind. And that's not always going to work. Like that's a very idealistic statement to say. But for the most part, if you can look at a person as a human, there will be a level of compassion there that makes the decision a lot easier than looking at them as an enemy or as somebody that's taking something from you or somebody you have to compete with. I struggle with that faith that you talk about because I see people not doing it or I see people in groups and I'm like, it's not hard to think about other people, to just put yourself in their shoes, to just be kind, to just be considerate. You don't know what's happening for anybody. All I needed to get me to be, to choose somebody else in this scenario was to think about, and this is going to get heavy real fast. Think about the senior citizens that may never, that are healthy, like seniors that are living in care homes right now that are healthy, that aren't sick, that may never see their loved ones before they pass away. That's all I had to think about to to know if I can prevent somebody from getting sick, I'm going to do it. Because like my grandmother was, I have three grandparents that are alive. One's 96, one's 92, and one's 91, I think. I'm very fortunate to have them. They all live in different cities. Um, and they all have different stories. I'm not crying. I'm like touching my eye and these guys are looking at me through the Skype camera. I just have something in my eye, I swear. Um, but that's really all it was. It's like there's people, there's seniors that are married, that have been married for 50 years and they live in different care homes based on their own health and they can't see each other. Or, you know, and, and some of these people are going to pass away from the natural progression of life without having the opportunity to see their loved ones specifically because the numbers of COVID are too high. So that for me was like, was it. But when you say that you lose faith in humanity, yeah, that, I mean, rightfully so. Like I have those same feelings, but I think that goes back to why you said you started the podcast and why I put out this album and the topics that are in that specifically are to kind of create conversations because just it's through disconnection with each other that it makes it very easy to choose what works for you. But if you have a stronger connection with those around you, if you live in a smaller town and you know the people that are in line, (laughs) or if you know, you know, I don't know, if you have those connections, if we're talking about the things, if we have deeper, meaningful conversations, then it makes it really hard to be the person that's um, hurting another human. Yeah, I, I would say for myself that it is just a respect for other people right now. Like, even if a year from now, there the like new science comes out and it's like entire thing of COVID is a bunch of BS. It's like, well, right. I still was doing my part when I'm not sure. This isn't a time for me to be, you know, rebelling against my parents telling me to eat my vegetables. And I was like, no, I'm not going to eat my vegetables. I'm just going to hide them under the table. <laughs> it's like this isn't a time for me to be like masks are stupid. I don't want to wear one. It's like just do it for now to make other people feel yeah. safer and show some respect to everybody else. And when you mentioned about the celebrities speaking out and having a bunch of hate comments go toward them, I think the respect factor too also trickles into how we respond to other people's opinions or Mm -hmm. conversations, right? Like 
it's about how you respond to something you disagree with. It's not just like, you, I disagree with this, this is hate speech, or you're not allowed to talk about this, or assuming like just because you're saying uh, that I, you know, because you're saying this, you, you want people to die, you don't care about people getting COVID. It's like, that's not what I said. I'm just like also concerned about the economy and other things that are going on and the fallout of all of this. So it's, 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 a, it's in how we, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, it's probably because a lot of these conversations are happening over social media. They're not happening in person. So you can't correct yourself. You can't be in the middle of a conversation and saying, oh, you know, like we need to reopen because our economy can't survive it. And these people's lives depend on it and blah, blah, blah. There's tons of reasons. There's tons of layers to every situation, whether it's um, like what, whatever you want to talk about. Um, but if you're having a conversation a, once you put it out on the internet, you can't delete it. And I don't mean that you should be able to delete it because you want to retract what you say specifically because now you're getting people to disagree with you. But like, there's another quote that somebody um, that I follow uh, put up and it's probably, maybe it's not hers originally. Her name's Jamila Jamil and she's an activist for women's rights I'll go with and a whole bunch of other things. But she put on her bio, I think, that you have to allow people room to learn from their mistakes. So it's like the Maya Angelou, Angelou quote that Jenny posted, which is do the best that you can. And then when you know better, do better. And that's when you have a conversation with somebody, like even through this conversation, we've said things that maybe somebody hasn't agreed with and we'll, we'll take time to process that. And if we have another conversation, we can work through that. But if you are saying it online, it can be taken out of context. There's no emotion that comes through the tweet as funny as you may be, or as like, you can be saying <laughs> something that's very, like very sarcastic and it's taken completely literal or literally, literally, and then totally out of context. And so, yeah, just kind of getting back to like those honest conversations will probably, I don't know, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's also, I have to admit, it's really uncomfortable to talk about certain topics like even the, the wearing a mask or not wearing a mask with family members or people that are close friends that are on the other end of of the opinion and I don't know how you guys are managing that but I find like it's a lot easier for me to have a conversation with strangers or like to to say something through social media than it is sometimes to actually have that in-person conversation which is totally damaging to our society I find the more that we confront the uncomfortable conversations or things that we might perceive as being difficult for us to talk about, the more that Ryan and I have done that for me, the less afraid I am to have those conversations. I'm still for not sure. good at putting my foot down in the sand sometimes and being like, hey, that's not cool. And it's something I'm working on. But the more we talk about the things that people aren't talking about, I feel like the easier it gets. And luckily, so far, we have not experienced a lot of negative backlash. But coming back to like the faith in humanity thing that we were talking about and going back to good life, I feel like it's actually harder to love people than it is to hate people. Right. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but what I feel like love involves so much acceptance and looking at people from a different perspective and putting yourself in those shoes and using your empathy skills so much that it actually takes so much energy and effort to actually love, which restores faith in humanity compared to being like, nope, I don't agree with you. That's wrong. Down, shame, push you down. You're wrong. This is the way it is. My way all the time. No other way. I don't entertain anything else. 
Like, well, because when somebody says something that, that you might disagree with, it triggers a whole bunch of emotions. Even if it's something as simple as like your own mom saying, like to me saying, oh, you know, when you parent your children that way, blah, 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 blah. Like it makes you want to go, what do you mean? Like, because taking in information from somebody that I love, like somebody that I admire and I love and I have a good relationship with is still stressful because then it makes you question everything else. It's like, well, if my mom's right that I screwed this up with being a mom, then maybe I screwed everything up. You know, maybe I'm not a good parent. Maybe I'm a terrible person. Maybe I should just stop having children. Um, what you know, so I, it it makes you have to confront emotions that maybe you're not equipped to deal with. I think love, like, I think it's also easier to. I wouldn't use the word hate because I think to actually hate something is a very strong emotion, but to not give your attention to it or to just be dismissive is very easy. And I think it's a self defense mechanism probably. Um, and I think also it's like, I'm trying to think of a, a comparison, but like when you're in an environment and you don't know anybody, you might behave in a certain way. But then when there's people that you know, that know you, you kind of, behave differently like maybe you're just more respectful or like whatever you know you're in a grocery store like pre-covid and somebody wants the last banana and you don't know them well you're gonna probably try to take the banana like whereas if it's a friend of yours <laughs> that's down the street you're like oh no you have it no no you go, you take the banana oh let's share the banana you know depending on who's in your life but um so I feel like when you say it's harder to love uh and and easier to hate I think it's harder it's much easier to be dismissive and just totally not entertain somebody else's feelings if you don't have a connection there, if you don't mm. know who they are and you don't know anything about their lives. And the minute you do, those feelings are are likely to be swayed. But I don't know if you remember way back when we met, I wanted to make a documentary film. Do you remember that? I went on like this huge like rant and I was like I don't understand or I wanted to write a book or something like called blinders that was the idea guys don't steal it um <laughs> it's called blinders and I was trying to understand because I was in my early 20s I'm like I don't get it when there's something going on in the world why do people put blinders on why do they not want to know if you live in North America and like you're you know you've got a pretty decent life come you know as far as like a safe place to live or food to eat or whatever it is why do we want to put blinders on and not listen to these stories from people experiencing even in our own country these painful situations or whatever it is and i couldn't understand at that age why why people choose to ignore the problems and then you know good life is me i said i wrote it when i was really overwhelmed and discouraged feeling like if you take in all those situations that I couldn't understand why people were ignoring, it's so overwhelming. It's almost debilitating. Like, it, you know, if you let that, if you let all of that in, it may, it, <laughs> I don't know, it can make you really feel like there's, that there's no way out, you know, where do I want to go with this? I don't know. Yeah. My, yeah. My my girlfriend recently said the same thing. She's like, maybe you need to stop taking in so much information about like Black Lives Matter right now and COVID and people not wearing masks because it's it's overwhelming you and it's detrimental to you and it's upsetting you. And there's that fine line between like having complete blinders on, I feel, and then self-preservation. 
and how much you can take in as a person. Because it's true, if you look at everything that's going wrong, it's all wrong. It's yeah. all bad. Well, and like, yeah, the self-preservation is is tricky because that can be like that can be taken for um, not being active in combating something that needs to change. But I think I think like it goes back to trying to do what you can do in your own individual life. So take the information that you have, the people that are surrounding you, um, the community that you're in and do, you know, do what you can do there. Like I loved, I think, I don't know whose quote it was originally. I keep quoting people. I'm such a dork. Uh, Ani DeFranco said, um, think globally, start locally. And I feel like that is a huge, and I don't, I really don't think that's her quote. She quoted somebody else and I don't have that information to share with you. Um, But I think that that's huge because when you take somebody in their individual situation, like, I don't even know how to, like, everybody's life is so different. You know, for me, what does it mean when I'm going, going to try to, use my voice to combat something that I disagree with everybody's way of going about things is going to be different and as long as you're trying what what you can do and what you can manage as in in your individual situation I think you're moving in the right direction and who, who knows where that will end up like maybe there'll be a period in your life where it's not so overwhelming because now you're armed with some information that you've absorbed and you've processed and then you know, tomorrow you can take in something new. Um, I think the key is to, to taking in as much information before it turns you into like total despair. <laughs> Soak it all in until you really like want to close the, the shades and like not go outside. I want a small then... cabin in the woods all by myself <laughs> and where no one knows where I am. And you just can't find me unless I tell you where I am. That's probably pretty close to total despair. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, just and don't you only, you only have Netflix with your with your favorite shows, no documentaries, no new information, just all the old oh, stuff. Yeah. I don't even think I'd have Netflix. So I just go old school. Take a hard drive. It's so funny that you said that, Ryan, because when I was like the last two years when I was writing, when I wasn't in a creative space, you know what I did is I went to Netflix and I'd put on a documentary. Like something that just would get me thinking about something mm-hmm. new and give me new information. And and that's actually like that's a better way of saying what I just said, which is like the problem comes when there's a lack of a lack of empathy because no one's taking in any information to feel feelings about anybody else. So like I think your partner's right as far as if it's harming you personally and you can't process it and you can't function because of it, then, you know, take a breather from it in whatever, however that looks for you. Um, and I want to be clear that like, I'm not specifically talking about, about racism right now. Like I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about women's rights. I'm talking about like human trafficking. I'm talking like whatever it is. Like there's so many topics that, that are really overwhelming. I mean, you can just take like local, you know, people that don't have food to eat, whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know. The documentary thing is funny because, um, that was definitely a way that I triggered the reactive emotions that I need in order to be in a creative space. Like I need to have new information and I need to feel things because that's where my writing comes from. Yeah. And just to, for me, I find if I can break it down into steps is that I take in a bit of new information and it's makes me aware like, okay, there is a problem here, right? There's something going on that I'm not aware of. And then 
I go and talk to, you know, like my girlfriend or to Jenny or a family member and just try to process like, okay, this is what I saw or this is what I read and this is what I'm thinking and feeling about it and kind of work through all those steps. And then once I feel like I've wrapped my head around that, then I can take in more information and it's like, okay, now that I'm, now that I'm here, what can I, what can I actually do from like from my own position? Right. Cause when, when the, all the protests started happening, my first instinct was to just go on social media and I was like, I need to be a part of what's going on right now. And I need to post the black square and do all this stuff. And I was just taking in so much information. It like destroyed me. I think there was one day I almost went the whole day without eating cause I was just in my head and mm-hmm. I realized I needed to take like a break. <laughs> so it's good to break it down, like take in some new information, like watch a documentary and then you know, have conversations about it and, and process all of that new information. And then once you've, you know, relaxed a bit and then you're ready to take in more. I think also what I, what I would add to that is to be in a space where you can realize that if you're in a situation um, and you're like, whatever, whatever you're taking in new information about and being able to take that moment to process it, um, just being aware that you're, in a different place than the people that are experiencing it firsthand, right? So whether it's like, like, for example, if you want to, you want to research like domestic violence and how women are being affected with that, for example, and you can actually choose to ignore it for a few days, it means that you're probably not in a situation where you're experiencing domestic violence. So I think it's very important for humans to recognize when they are able to take a break and what that means, because there's people that can't. And so I would agree with you that I don't know. It's like, I guess it would be like that life mask analogy on an airplane, which nobody goes on anymore, (laughs) but that you're supposed to put your life mask on before you put it on your kids. And it's so funny because when my kids were really little, like really little, first time you maybe flew with Jordan and he was one or two or whatever, I was thinking, there's no way I'll put my life mask on for him. I'll put it on him. I'll keep him alive. If I die, I die. Like he needs to, you know, but then you start to realize oh, wait, like he can't swim. <laughs> so if we land in the water, he's going to need me because he can't swim. He's one. And so being aware of the fact that if you're in a situation where you can take a break and if that allows you that respite so that you can come back stronger and be a better advocate and a better, a better um, helper to those in you know different situations, then I think that that's okay. I, I think that it doesn't always feel like it's okay or it doesn't, always seem like it's okay but if you can't help because you're in a state of total despair then what good are you yeah and I I just want to make sure for people to not hate me when I say this but I've I've been seeing a lot of posts saying about how silence is violence and I I do understand that you know if I see or hear something I should speak up but I've been quiet for a little while just because I've been taking in information and I've been trying to listen from people that do experience things that I don't go through or have had to go through. And that's a good way for me to get a bit more of a, of an insight into what it's actually like for them. And then it's like, okay, now that I know what that looks like, now I can do something about it. So, you know, staying just being a listener to start and then once you have enough information to go forward and act then you can take that into the actions 
And I think being silent on social media, like we, we assume that if people aren't talking on social media, that they're not doing anything in their everyday life. And I think that's a very dangerous assumption to make, mm-hmm. even from a donation standpoint. It's like, if you don't tweet that you donated to a certain organization, it doesn't mean that you didn't donate, you know, or it doesn't mean that you didn't drop off flyers or that you don't talk to your kids about certain issues or whatever. So I think it's very important to remember that that people sometimes are doing things specifically without recognition because that's their comfort level, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not documenting a picture of my family being like having a tough conversation today. <laughs> like, I'll keep <laughs> right, you I'll keep exactly. you posted. You know, I don't even post photos of my kids. So that's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. But I can tell you that like, you know, I mean, I thought about documenting like when my my son's grade two class was they read a book. It was maybe three weeks ago. They read a book in class. And the, the reason I know this is because it was online, right? It's online schooling. So the teacher chose to read a book on racism and then they had an open conversation. And these are like, my son is eight. So some of them are seven, seven and eight year olds. And they're talking about what it means. And they're showing, sharing different stories. And I can tell you that like some of that stuff is happening behind closed doors and a lot of positive stuff is happening behind closed doors and no one's going to know about those things. So that's where the faith in humanity comes back. It's mm. like, there's a lot of stuff we don't get to see. Social media is not the end all be all for telling us what's going on in the world. It's a great way to learn. It's a great way to see things, but it's not, it's not necessarily always accurate. And in fact, like there's a lot of people putting out stuff to con- like to totally sway the conversations in different ways and create distractions. Um, for people so that they're not taking in what's really happening. Yeah, media is more skewed, I feel like, that way now. Like, media has always been not 100% reliable. Like, they give you information depending on the media source you're reading. You get right, you get left-wing, you get the middle, whatever. And now we have a platform where everybody's a reporter and everybody's (laughs) opinion is like the Bible. And it's just, it's a bit much. And it was already a bit much to be bombarded by the media. And now everybody's a media producer. Well, and what I what I want to like expand on, and I don't think we have time for this, but what you said, you're specifically talking about media in regards to news mostly, right? And information. But what is fascinating to me is I've had conversations with people and coming from a background in the entertainment industry with, with acting um, and telling people, you know, that there's things in people's contracts for their image, you know, like how much weight they have to lose, if they have to have Botox and all of these things that we don't realize people that are on, you know, just on a consumption basis don't understand. And I've had these conversations and I've shared this with people and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, what you see is contrived, you know, like what you're looking at for the most part is like what we, what we see in a lot of media is not accurate. And so I feel like that is, the entertainment industry can have a huge impact on a lot of these conversations that we're having by representing and showing different things. And even just showing women's aging <laughs> would be really nice to see. Can I get, cause I can tell you, I think it'd be a lot less challenging to go through those changes if we just saw it happening. So to, uh, get back to you and your music, uh, yeah. coming to a, coming to a close here, I wanted to ask, so, because you took a, quite a big hiatus before doing this album. So after the experience of doing this recording and then releasing it, do you plan on doing more in the future or is it kind of up in the air? I would love to do, um, yeah, I would love to do more. Um, I think creating, 
something artistic will always be a part of my life, whether it's music or something else. Um, but like this experience was so exciting that I just want to make a whole bunch of <laughs> more records. Unfortunately, as an, indep an independent artist, it's really challenging to share music on a scale that's going to recoup any of the costs that you invest in it. Um, so that's the biggest challenge, I think. And I don't think that... Um, I don't think that our industry is set up for the little guys. Um, and I think COVID has showed that because a lot of people are really, really struggling in the arts right now. And it's not an industry that's getting a, a lot of support. So for me, I would like to spend a little bit of time um, sharing this album with people and doing what I can do while still parenting my kids, which is totally challenging. Um, but I feel like I would like to record again something new. I already have a whole bunch of songs. I have more things I'd like to say and more um, projects I'd like to do. But I think it's, I can't tell you when that's going to happen. I know it could be next year. It could be like <laughs> when I'm 60. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm assuming it's going to be sooner than later. I'm I'm too excited about this experience. And I want to record with Tom again because he's my favorite right now. <laughs> so what is the best way that people can support you or where can people listen to the album or like what's the best way that we can help grow independent artists like yourself but more specifically right now let's let's promote Haley Me? what's the best way that <laughs> what's the best way that we can get Haley Turner out there and get people okay, listening to the so album this is I'm gonna I mean I would usually say it's available everywhere it's on Spotify it's on Apple download it blah 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 what I'm going to say though is that your actions might seem really small on your end but they actually make a huge difference for example, Spotify's algorithms will track how many streams I have. If you go on, you stream my music repeatedly, <laughs> you add it to your playlist, you follow me, those things are all tracked, which means I can randomly kind of get selected to be put on a playlist, which gets my music out to more people. Um, so the more interaction you can have with my music, the better. But from an artistic standpoint, like I just want, just listen to it. If you enjoy it, let me know that you enjoy it so that I know there's people out there listening to it. If you have some friends, maybe tell a couple friends about it. I feel like that grassroots aspect, it's like if, if you have a favorite song on the record, send it to your friend because your friend probably doesn't know me. And if they like the music, great. And if they don't, then they'll move on to the next artist. So I have two, awesome. more, I have two more questions as we probably start coming to a close. One would be, what was your biggest takeaway from the album as a person or as an artist from making this album? Okay, so I haven't figured out how to do this, but I it occurred to me a couple of days ago that I think the biggest takeaway was to not be afraid of myself. I don't know what that looks like, but just to not, um, to try to find a way to not doubt myself so that um, I'm not hindering my own endeavors like you know not limiting myself and I think that comes from that recording experience that I said where I was in, a, in, a, in an environment um, where I truly felt like I was just allowed to create and there was not a lot of judgment saying it was good or bad and so it just allowed you space to do it and so the biggest obstacle for me with my art throughout my entire life has been my own um, perceptions of myself and so um yeah, that was that's the takeaway. And that's why I'm excited to make another project because maybe next time I won't be afraid of myself and I'll just do, I don't know, crazy stuff. I think, I think I'll put out like totally different genre. 
<laughs> it's uh it's one of the trickiest parts I think is knowing that it's never perfect. Like it's never done. Never. It's never gonna be complete. You're never gonna be a hundred percent happy with it, but at some point you have to be like, I'm putting it out there. For sure. And I think I've listened to a lot of artists that, that have said that they'll put out an album or they'll put out something and a few years later they can't stand music. I mean actors are the same, I'm sure. I'm sure writers like anybody that's creating something that ends up being something that is tangible, eventually you're going to look back at that and go, you know, I've grown as as a person and I have something completely different that I put my name on. Um, But yeah, nothing, I don't know, nothing's perfect. (laughs) My, my second closing question would be for anybody who's listening, um, musicians, artists, somebody who wants to make a cookbook, I don't know, anybody who's out there to create something, what would you tell them? What would I tell them? Um, I, oh gosh, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's going to be a totally cliche answer. What would I tell them? I, like, I used to think that talent was rare. I really did. I used to think that, like, there was a quote that I, another quote. Oh my God, I got to stop with the quotes. There was a oh, there was a card that I bought when I was trying to um, pursue when I was pursuing TV and film acting, and it was a picture of Audrey Hepburn, and it was something you know like um, just kind of summing up that she was talented and that she was born that way and that was her thing. And I used to think that you had to be talented to be successful, and now I realize that everybody's talented. It, they have different talents, but everybody's capable. Everybody can do, everybody can learn an instrument. Um, you know, people are different and what they're good at or what their strengths are, are going to be different. But I feel like we've, we live in a world where we're told that don't do it unless you're going to be the best at it. And I think that that's a shame because I think we miss out on a lot of art because of that and not just art, but other things. But I think, um, I would just tell people to find a way to create whatever they want to create and take the plunge um, because, I don't know, the other thing is you'll you'll totally regret it if you don't. Like, you'll just, you'll never be happy with yourself if you don't try. It's like that song that Ryan likes, As I Am, Take You As You Are, like, as, as I Am. You know who you are sometimes most of it you know what you like inside if you get really really deep with inside yourself you'll know what you're what you want to try and if you don't try it you're gonna be miserable it will never go away (laughs) I think do you guys think (laughs) you're leaving me with this it's like too intense I don't know just do it you can (laughs) you can you can drop the mic now get a mentor (laughs) pardon get a mentor you said get a mentor yeah and ask and don't don't limit yourself between who with who you ask because you'd be really surprised at who says yes like humans are just people are just humans <laughs> that's so lame people are just humans there's there's um, the title for your episode Haley k like, turner people are just humans people are just here <laughs> it's really bad um i'm yeah, kidding find a mentor start asking people how to go about doing things and try it Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us and uh, sharing all of your quotes. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. They're not my quotes, but they're quotes that inspire me. Yeah, we we can put out some extra quotes now on the Instagram from all of the quotes that we got today. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to see um, your guys' adventure with your podcast as it grows and listeners grow. It's exciting. Thanks so much. Thanks, Haley. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Well, I hope that everyone gained a little something from this conversation with Haley. I thought that a lot of her lyrics and songs on this album, even though written before the pandemic started, were very fitting. And even though we went off on a bit of a tangent, I enjoyed that as well. So if you guys wanted to share any of your thoughts or insights with us, you can do so by messaging us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also send us an email, haveallittleinsight at gmail.com, or you can find us on our website, haveallittleinsight.com. So with that, I hope you guys have an insightful week, and we will catch you next time. If I could take back all the things I did that made you cry I'd fill the gaps with rainbows and unicorns and butterflies